right, everyone. Welcome Tennessee Wildcast. Good to have you here again. Jason Harmon over here. Don King is behind us producing the show today. We always appreciate Don. Frank Fisk is our chief of fisheries. He's here today. We're going to get to Frank in a few minutes. We're going to talk fish, 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 a little bit of turkey, but we're going to talk a whole lot of fish today. And we look forward to talking with you. And we want to remind you to please tell your friends about this program. We're on every week. We're always there now. Got a fresh show every week. And then all our shows are archived. And Jason, uh, this is, I don't know, show five or six. We're getting, we're getting a little bit more comfortable with this deal. Yeah, we're rolling right along, Doug. This is uh, going pretty good, I think. Well, I, we want folks to know about it because it is your agency that we're talking about. This is the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. And, and the folks we talk on this show, like Frank, uh, they are the pros. They know what they're doing with the fish world and the, and the wildlife world. And we're getting them on here to talk about what they do so that it will help you understand what's going on with the money you pay us when you buy your licenses. Anyway, welcome to the show. Before we get with Frank today, I want to talk to you a little bit about turkey season. It's just started. Yeah, uh, last weekend was opening opening day, and uh, I think they had a good day. Well, or a good weekend. Well, I hope so. And we got a long way to go, Jason. We always need to go on and reiterate what's going on with the season in case there are people coming to Tennessee that's never been here before. Maybe they've never gone turkey hunting before, and they're not right. sure what they can do here. So give them an idea of what's going on. Yeah, well, uh, it goes through May 15th, uh, one bird per day, four per season, uh, number four shot or smaller. You can use shotgun or archery, and uh, no baiting. Don't be baiting those turkeys. No and baiting. Check the hunting guide or go online to make sure you have the proper licenses and permits. Yeah, and a beautiful photograph that we're showing now that was taken by Rusty Thompson. Rusty is an officer for the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. He over in, he's over in the Murray County area, and he got this neat shot that reminiscent of the days that the agency did all this turkey restoration. And not going on, restoration's not happening anymore in the state, but we do occasionally have problems with what they what some folks call a nuisance population. I don't particularly like that word because that, that seems like a good problem to me. But sometimes landowners want to move for different reasons, so they'll go catch a few birds and move them somewhere else to somebody else's benefit, I think. But I really love this shot. But you see the, the shots before this one where they sometimes get into neighborhoods and into yards, and uh, to me that's just a sign that we got a good population of birds. But I really like the shot that, that Rusty took. Remember, it's bearded birds. If you, if you haven't hunted turkeys in the springtime, you got to have that thing sticking out of the chest there, and you want to see that. That's their beard. And, and uh, you can, would you say, four statewide? Yeah, four statewide, and you never know. There might be a hen with a beard. So It does happen. That's why they call it bearded instead of male birds. you got to make sure you look for that. Another thing that's going on this time of year, um, one of my favorite things to do a long time ago, I know Frank has done it. I've been fishing with Frank in a beautiful stream or two, but this is rock bass time of year. I, I like to call them creek crappie because they bite about the same time as the crappie on our on our lakes, but uh, they are really – they're they're fun to chase oh yeah and uh jason what do um what do you when you fish in the creeks i want to get a tip or two from you what do you use i like to uh i like to use flukes or small jerk baits or something that resembles a shad weightless a lot of times or that float and you can just work that work that bait and mimic that shad or that minnow and and just about anything will hit it. Uh, you never know. You get smallmouth in these creeks, and you got largemouth and spotted bass in them. But these rock bass, or some people call them black perch or red eye, mm -hmm. this time of year, you can almost stand on top of them. They're so aggressive during their spawning period of time. And I like to throw things like a Charlie Brewer slider worm. Four-inch worm is what that is. Right. Or you can throw just little twister tail kind of baits for them. Well, you know, 
the rooster tail. Anything hits a rooster tail rooster pretty much. Rooster is great bait. It is a, a white rooster tail. Is if I had one, if I could only had five baits, it would be in my top five of what I could, yep. what I'd live on. And we're going to talk to Frank in a little while about his fishing style. Frank is quite the fisherman with real light line, and we're going to get there, Frank, <laughs> and talk about that. And also up here, you see uh, up here. I want to remind everyone that the agency has a number of state lakes across the state, mostly in Middle Tennessee and and over in the western part of the state. But they are fishing only and a lot of them have piers like the one you see the man fishing here that's that man is actually vernon summerlin a friend of mine and that's bedford lake in middle tennessee great place to take your family in fact we call them family fishing lakes you can learn you can learn more about them by going in our fishing guide um they there is a permit to fish a lot of them uh, if you're 65 and you have that and you have that senior citizen's license uh, that's all you need anymore so a lot of folks that are retired like to go to these lakes but uh, Take them out there. And we, a lot of them are, are also highlighted during the free fishing day. But just if you want to go somewhere where you just know folks are going to fish, they're not going to be skiing or out there on the personal watercraft, this is your place to go. Uh, just these state lakes across there. And, that's again, that's Bedford Lake. All right. Frank Fiss is our guest. Frank is the chief of the fisheries division, Frank. And before that, you were the assistant chief of fisheries. That's right. And before that, you know, I don't even remember now. What were uh, you before I, that? I spent a <clears throat> few years doing a watershed coordinating position. And then before that, I was the trout and stream coordinator for 15 years or so. Okay. All right. And... That was by far my favorite job. I was going to say, that's where I was going with that. That's before all this pressure started as yeah. Chief of Fisheries, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, those were the good old days. The good yeah. old days. You don't know until, you, until they're getting in the rearview yeah. mirror sometimes, Frank. Well, you just mentioned trout. I want to talk about trout today. And, of course, this show is statewide. We want to talk about – we're doing it right here. We're, we're producing it here in Nashville. But we always want to talk about what's happening statewide. And we have some great tailwaters across the state that are cold water tailwaters. What does that mean – and how good is this state for fishing? Yeah, we've got a lot of opportunity on, on tailwaters across the state, starting in Elk River, which is our most western one below Tim's Ford Dam, all the way up to Bristol where South Holston, South Fork of Holston River is. And what this is is these are cold water discharge coming out of these deep reservoirs that supports trout year-round. And we, they're all stocked fisheries, but... Some of them are, like anything else, some of them fish better than others, and we've got some fantastic ones. They're, they they kind of cycle. Some some have good good periods and bad, but we're, we're in a really good period now in the East Tennessee uh, systems. I'm not – things get real quiet around the tailwater, when I, and that's how I know things are good. Uh, you don't hear anything, You don't hear right? anything. Everyone's out fishing, having a good time, and that, that's what's going on. The, the Clinch River is fishing very well. Uh, it we're seeing lots of fish in the slot limit. We got the South Holston River. When you say slot limit, what does that mean? That we, we have a protected slot limit to to incur to require the release of fish that are between, um, say, 16 and 20 inches on, on that case, I believe. But, you know, it, it's to promote the release of these fish that do survive a couple of years in the river. They're a much more valuable fish than the fish that just comes off the truck. Right. So that's... If they make it that far, there's better odds that that fish will stay around to be used again, catch and release. But you know, the South Hol South Holston River has natural reproduction of brown trout. The uh, in back back over to Middle Tennessee, I just saw some pictures just just a couple of days ago from the guys that got done shocking down there with 29 
inch brown trout weighing seven pounds. Elk River, yeah, right. Just, yeah, that was our buddy Bones Burns sent those photographs yeah. out. Uh, incredible. And they're seeing those every year yeah. down there. We The trout that I think about when I think of stocking fish are brown trout and rainbow trout. Uh, is that right, Frank? Or is... Yeah, most of the fish that are stocked are rainbow trout. We, we stock about 300,000-ish brown trout a year. They primarily go to the tailwaters. And we also will stock brook trout. We've got, a, I forget how, maybe 100,000 of those that are coming out, maybe 150,000 a year to different places. And they're, they're going primarily to tailwaters as well. Okay. Yeah. All right, good deal. And, and these- lake trout to the, to the reservoirs that get lake trout. Okay, so we do still do some lake trout over. Is that over in East? Far yeah, East that, that's going to be on uh, Watauga, South Holston, and a little bit in Chilhowee. Those are fun. Uh, years yeah. ago, caught a couple. We went with a guy that caught a couple back in the day where they were in Delhalla. They're not right. in Delhalla anymore, correct? That, that's correct. It doesn't have the water, the temperature and oxygen profile there is not, just won't let them be there. These waters that, that we fish, these tail waters, are they, because they the dams changed the, the way that, I guess just the temperature of those waters. This is why this was all created, right? This became better for trout. Yeah, and and at the at a loss of warm water species too. Right. When those dams came in, the the natural fauna were eradicated essentially. So, you know, there was there was a need to mitigate that loss, and that's how the federal hatchery system started in Tennessee. It was designed to produce fish to put into those tailwaters, and and we still do that today. You know, if you. A few years ago, we had some issues about who would pay for that in the future. Luckily, all that's been ironed out. So we're, we're real optimistic about the future of uh, stocking and tailwaters. Good deal. That was a scare for a while. That's oh, uh, where money was. Like it seemed like every five years we were either, either trying to defend uh, Dale Hollow Hatchery's existence, but in the last go-around, it was some budget cuts that really forced the Fish and Wildlife Service to make some priorities that we didn't agree with. and. Finally, TVA came around as as kind of the hero to to be able to pay for the mitigation of those of those lost waters. So. Okay, so trout fishermen can breathe easy. Oh, yeah, and I can breathe easy. It <laughs> seemed like breathe. that was a recurring <laughs> job in that in that program, and it's just nice to be able to put, put close that box for a little while. Okay, what about our hatcheries? We how many hatcheries do we have that produce these fish that go all over the place? And is there a value? Does it? Do we know how much it costs to raise a trout in one of these hatcheries? Yes, and, it, and it, it'll it'll vary. We're, you know, some of our hatcheries are very unique in that they're, you know, n- maybe not in the most uh, ideal spot. Like I'm just thinking of Teleco Hatchery. It, it it's we need a hatchery on Teleco River to, to support that program, but it's not the most efficient place to raise fish because we're using surface water and different issues. But anyway, the, the value of the, the fish it costs us about. Four dollars a pound, maybe five dollars a pound, and that that could be, you know, two two and a half dollars a fish for those nine ten inch fish. That's expensive. That's yeah, a, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of hard but, work. But you're raising them from. I mean, they're going from the egg to the to the yeah, stocking the, size. This size, right? Yeah, the eggs come. A lot of them come FedEx. Essentially, we don't we don't have brood fish on any of our hatcheries. We get the eggs from the Fish and Wildlife Service. We we raise them, and take them outside and get make get them bigger and bigger and then then they get stocked so. okay and how many hatcheries do we have that just produce cold water fish we got four okay yeah and that does that include the national hatchery del hollow no. national hatchery del hollow's you know and it you know it's not our hatchery but it it produces over 50 percent of the fish that, that 
are delivered to the state every year. So they're a big part of our system. We okay. really value that partnership. And, and just briefly, I want to go back and talk about the, the East Tennessee tailwaters. I'm, I've fished the Caney Fork here in Middle Tennessee and the Elk River in Middle Tennessee, and then some of our smaller waters that we do that we stock in the wintertime and part yeah. of the winter program. But what about those – are those East Tennessee waters better? Is there – or even the plateau, say the Hatchie River um, – not the Hatchie River, the Hawassi River. Yeah. Are they better? Is there – are they- no, they're all they're all different. I mean, like the, the Hawassi River, for example, gets pretty warm in the summer. And in the last ten years, we've shifted from a really a struggling year-round fishery to a really neat uh, delayed harvest fishery down there. And uh, on a on a Middle Tennessee stream that's just stocked in in March, let's say maybe March through May, our expectation for that fish is to survive to maybe end of May June and hope that people go out and enjoy it. If they want to catch and release, fine. But if they want to keep them, that's fine too, because they're not going to be there in July. Okay. All right. So they're they're all different then. In oh yeah, and- even the tailwaters, they're vastly and, it, and we stock the the stocking rates vary uh, tremendously because of that. The the better water quality, often we can stock fewer fish. All right. Yeah. Has have you seen? Do you feel like there's? And been- I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean that there's poor water quality in our tailwaters, but as far as from a trout's point of view, just how well they survive. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is there, has this, has our trout fishing increased the number of, you think, fly fishermen, kayak fishermen? What do you, who is using our waters these days? Well, we're getting a lot of use on our, our tailwaters. We, we typically will see spin fishermen, fly fishermen, bait fishermen, bank fishermen, people in boats, people that want to run the river at, at generation, people that wouldn't do that. Uh, it's just everybody, and and as you know, everybody is seeing more kayaks out there. Mm. Uh, tailwaters are a good place to do that too. Uh, you you can be a little more mobile and access some maybe some holes that you couldn't get to otherwise. All right, I want to remind everyone too, especially if you're new to Tennessee and to tailwaters, they generate a lot. Can be oh, yeah. very dangerous below a dam, so you need to make sure you before you go, you know what the generation schedules are, and remember they're tentative, that yeah. they can turn that water on, and if that water starts rolling get out asap yeah, right I, then we, we get those calls and I, I really take the time to explain that it it's so important to know the schedule don't cross the river kind of be on your own side where you can get back to your vehicle and and you know be, learn you, you're not you, you do need to learn some things when you start and on a new tailwater you do and it's good to go with somebody and don't park your vehicle on a sandbar that's right <laughs> because that's bad news it can, that water really comes up and it can get you in trouble and, and frank uh, one other thing on trout before we move on we and i think you kind of mentioned it we have native and non-native trout what are the native and what are the non-native the only native trout we have are brook trout okay and the the, the brook trout that we stock out of the in, in great numbers are actually uh, they're, they're actually not the true native. The, the true natives are the southern Appalachian brook trout, which are only found in the mountains of uh, East Tennessee. And we've, we, we're doing a lot of work with genetics to identify them down to the population and make sure we, we conserve that, 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 that heritage. Okay. Yeah. All right. And trout have been stocked a long time. They're not native, but they to, they seem like they are anymore. Rainbow and brown. Yeah. They just seem like they've been here in our lifetimes anyway forever. Yeah, they're 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 part of Tennessee fishing for sure. Okay, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit of let's talk about um, the Asian carp for a second. We have Bobby Wilson. They're not on. native. They're not native. <laughs> no, we don't want them here. Uh, Bobby Wilson was on a few weeks ago, who was in your position before he moved to a, a director's position, assistant, and now you've taken his spot. 
uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say that. <laughs> but anyway, you're the chief now. Uh, and Agent Carp is uh, one of those things you have to deal with on a daily basis. Tell it, us about Agent Carp in, in your world. In my world, it, we, we are easily having a meeting a week with mm. the people across the, the Ohio Basin. You know, there's, it's, it's a national problem, essentially not just a Tennessee problem. So we're, we're, try, we're looking to other people for advice and help and funding. We recently got a lot of funding to do some some research on carp. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it, I never thought I'd be working on carp as a fisheries biologist. But here he you saw, are. If he told me that 20 years ago. You never know. There's no. always, what's that next <laughs> thing that's going to happen that scares us and our resource and our fish? Yeah, there's always something. There's not yeah. ever, it was zebra mussels, it's Asian carp. There's always something we're worried about. And they're all still there too. It's just, it's just compiling. Okay. So these, these Asian carp that we have in here, I know Bobby talked a little bit about you trying to create industries where we can get folks that might sell them for food somewhere how's that going and do you see do you see that as working down the road that is probably one of the more immediate opportunities to eliminate numbers of carp in tennessee and you know there's other silver bolts being worked on in laboratories across the country but right now that is going that's the most tangible thing that we can see and that it is the the price per pound that people are willing to pay for uh like the wholesale buyers to to, to buy from fishermen from commercial fishers is has been going up so you know at some point there's going to be enough uh, value in those fish that people will fish for them more and that that will help okay but, and where are they where if you're well, out where are they in our little bodies of water yet or just in the big tennessee and Cumberland rivers yeah primarily that you're going to find them in in kentucky lake you're going to you're going to see them in shallow areas like side channel areas you're going to see them below immediately below the dams and the, the tailwater areas but they are, they're lake-wide. They're probably more abundant in the lower lake, actually, in the state of Kentucky right now than they mm -hmm. are in, in the main part of, of Tennessee and Kentucky Lake. But, but we do have them in— uh, and We oh, have them in Barkley. We've got them in Cheatham. You, you know, as you go up each dam, there's just that's a the lot Cumberland fewer River. on the Cumberland River system. Right. And in the Tennessee system, they're down to uh, Wheeler. Okay. That's you know two more dams up. And then I was with you guys last year when you actually found them in the Duck River, right here in Middle Tennessee and Columbia. Not in big numbers, but yeah, there was there, there. Was a, yeah there was a small a group of of carp that had run all the way up to Columbia. It's 132 river miles. And and of course we're showing these silver carp jump. Silver carp are the jumpers. That's the one you hear about. The uh, that's you don't want that. But there's another one called Big Head, and they right. don't jump, right? That's right. All right, so, and we don't know how many of them are here. Well, from some of the commercial landing data that we have, it's, it's, we're pretty sure there's a lot more silver carp out there than there are big head carp. Okay. All right, time will tell. More work, a lot more yeah. work to come. And on, on the scale, though, uh, Frank, on that scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most alarming, where do you put Asian carp as far as what they could do to our fisheries? Because they, they sift out all our fake plankton the food chain the plankton well, well we worry about it like it's a 10 yeah and, and if it turns out to be a two then that'll be great that's but good. Um, we're worried about it as a 10 because <laughs> we, we're we're experiencing the invasion at this point mm -hmm. we don't know what the end product is going to be when they're established what that establishment will look like well do you when the zebra mussel scare came along a few years ago it seemed almost as alarming and they're they're filters too they clear mm -hmm. the water and that's not good but it seems to me the Asian carp is a little more scary than the zebra mussels. Are they or not? Uh, they are. They are to people because they see them. Okay. But what about to the biologists? When you guys first heard about zebra mussels, were you just as alarmed as yes. you are about, were you? Yeah, I, I was. And, and, I, and I think 
we're not done worrying about that either because we're seeing them uh, become more abundant on new waters or you know where places where we've had zebra mussels for some time and knew of it all of a sudden we're seeing a lot more of them like uh, Norris Lake is an example we picked up a zebra mussel in one of our hatchery intakes you know we've not had that scare before but we now that's something we need to manage around so it that that hasn't gone away. We're just we're just doing a little more, a little more worrying about this it. Reminds me of Men in Black. There's always somebody trying to destroy this miserable little planet yeah, or whatever. Yeah. There's always there's always a scare out there. Yeah. I think I'll do a great job working with them. Let's talk about something happier. The largemouth bass program going on right now in Florida largemouth. I know that puts a lot of pressure on the chief of fisheries. What kind of pressure does not? It, it it really doesn't. We've got we got great people in this agency, as you know, that that coordinate all that. We've got trades going on with uh, uh, states of Texas, Florida, Louisiana, or not even trades in some cases, they're just offering us fish. And it, you know, we, we rely on those states to give us the, the, the fingerlings, or the fry actually, and then when they come up, our hatchery managers take care of those fish and they get them out. I mean, that's, there's really not much for me to do. And I, if it comes down to me raising Florida bass, we're, we're all in trouble. Okay, and, and then we're showing a photo of a smallmouth, but how's our smallmouth fishing in Tennessee? Oh, it's great. All right. So, I mean, I, there's there's always uh, stream fishing is, you know, it, that kind of goes up and down with the how much rain we get from time to time. Reservoir fishing, yeah, we've got – people are still flocking to Dale Hollow to fish for smallmouth. I saw some really good pictures out of Priest this week the, from from uh, earlier in the year. But uh, I'll tell you, it's – Okay, and then walleye, we, we've gone to that too. And I, that's a, that's something that – and I'm hitting them hard because I want to talk about fishing with you in just yeah, a minute, just fishing fine. in general before we run out of <laughs> time. Fine. But what about the walleye and the sauger program in Tennessee? Yeah. We got, we've got anglers. We're showing photographs from Normandy of, of walleye over on that reservoir. What's going on across the state? Well, walleye and, and sauger both are a little more challenging than, say, smallmouth bass, which we don't really have to stock. You know, But we do have – Almost every one of our walleye populations relies on us stocking to keep them afloat because we we, do just, we just don't see successful spawning of walleye in these systems anymore. And there's a couple of reasons that could be, and that's in that article that's coming out this month, I think. But that's uh, yeah, in, in Tennessee Wildlife Magazine, yeah. you got an article in there, okay. right? Yeah. But uh, so a lot of people don't know that we all the walleye that are out there are primarily stocked by Tennessee and, and sauger we've tried to supplement those populations that are naturally occurring with stocking with really mixed success and challenging it's been really challenging to get the sauger to, to put in so a lot of biologists are saying well we can we can graze walleye a lot easier in our hatcheries why not do more walleye who's who who doesn't like walleye? If you Everybody like sauger, why wouldn't you like walleye? And, and you know we're still going to have the sauger out there doing whatever ecological function they're doing but you know, we don't need to necessarily be stocking over top of them with more sauger, but if we add walleye, we might add a little more something of substance to catch. And and it's it's been people are catching those fish. I am a, I am a walleye fan, and and I am not catching the big ones yet. But I we we uh we go to the Cumberland River a lot here in Middle Tennessee and surrounding lakes. Delhalla over on the plateau has has got a good population of them. But these guys that are fishing all the time are catching seven, eight, nine pound walleye, which is a big fish and and it seems like sometimes sauger get up to that size limit and they're gone whereas walleye seem to surpass that am i wrong in that no it's just that's how they're just naturally built they're not supposed to get sauger aren't are not going to grow as big as a walleye they're just they're different animals 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, and then some of the footage we're showing, those who are watching it on TWA TV, um, that we're showing was, was where you guys collected broodfish or where the streams crew, I mean, mm -hmm. the, one of the, cr the hatchery, hatchery crews, yeah. pardon me, went and collected broodfish from Rock Mount, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's uh, Rock, Rock Island. Rock Island, yeah. thank you. The Headwaters of Center Hill. Yeah. So take these things into our hatcheries from these broodfish, and that's where it all begins? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good footage there. That was shot by Barry Cross, I think, wasn't it? All right. Okay. Let's talk fishing for a minute. We can get you back on there and just talk specifically about fish, fish, fish all day, Frank. But you're a good fisherman, too. You're a light line, ultralight fisherman uh, that likes to go out and, and challenge these fish, what, with four-pound test? Two. Two-pound test. Two pound. That's crazy. No, it's not. It's Tell us it why. Why do you do that? Why do I... I was thinking about this morning, it, it's when I was doing my usual spring routine where I check the flows on all the rivers, lake elevations, and I want to know where's the best place to spend my time. But when I go there, I'm fishing light jigs, trout magnet gear usually. Trout magnet's a cool bait. Look it up yeah. if you haven't seen it. It'll it's, be uh, it's, it's, they're, they're cheap, you know. It, and they don't it, just catch trout. Oh, they catch everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, why do I do it? I mean, I, you, you just got to have light line to cast something. It's that it's a small jig. So you got to have light line to be able to cast at any distance. Okay. And, and to me, and I, I did a lot of, still do a lot of fly fishing. I, it's not a real active thing. It's almost like drifting a nymph and I'm just feeling for a slight bump. And it's, that to me is that's always a, that's more a bug fun. on the bottom right that's a, yeah. a future flyer or something. yeah, yeah. Okay. i mean that that to me is more fun than cast and retrieve cast and retrieve i i just want to fish that jig and that's i've kind of migrated from the, the standard curl tail jigs just down to this small jig and i just don't see a reason to go back up because i'm catch big fish what catch does little that? fish that, that, well they do i mean yeah. you catch big fish on these yeah. little bitty tiny trout magnets that mm. i really like and and you can go match that trout if you don't like trout magnets there's other things oh yeah you could can, can tie a, your own little jig like that i mean yeah. it's it's all it is all right but two pound test don't you get your heart broken a lot in your string too you really don't no? i i use a light light line uh good reel uh, you know i use a fairly large reel like a, a, a 2500 series shimano so a lot of people buy really light line and put on a really tiny little reel and it's all tightly wound but i'm i'm using it Pretty, That's got a, a good tip. I got because I think it, I'm the one who buys a little bitty. Yeah, <laughs> but you put it on that big spool, <laughs> yeah. and and you can cast it a lot further, and it seems like there's a little less wear and tear on it that way. Okay. Or should change your light. No, I, drag. You set that drag pretty so, good. Oh yeah, pretty light. The, I have a friend that goes, he fishes a, that magnet and that two pound test in tailwaters a lot. He wears out big old crappie on uh, in tailwaters a lot, yeah. often along the walls where they yeah. they come around on the other side lock walls and, and where's the fish out. And I've seen yeah. you catch fish in that area. And I've fished with you and Mark Goodland out of a boat on Priest a few years ago and watched you use that and catch crappie and bass, I think, maybe a catfish or two. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we were probably out in April and mm -hmm. like, and it, you just can't go wrong in April with a trout magnet. Anything, or really, that's the time to be fishing. Yeah, it, well, that's the time we're in right now, Frank, <laughs> so you'd probably rather be out there right next yeah. to... Can we, on, on your tip, yeah. the... The rod is the rod a, a longer rod or using a shorter rod it, with that reel? Great question. It's you know it's a it's one that it's not a real short or not a really it's I think it's six and a half foot rod is all it is. It's, and I would, I would describe it as a as a light, not ultra light, just light. And it's a I don't know I I you know and the the real tip isn't mine. I was I was taught this by the masters of of uh, light line work, but everyone learns from somebody, and that's my well, that's you know, way it, it. Yeah. And hopefully some folks today learn yeah. out there. I'm going to go 
Put, yeah, but I was out on. I was out on, on uh, reel. buy some new rods. And I'm gonna tell everybody I learned that. But I mean, it's just my tip. Go ahead. But I was out on uh, blow the heart in in Franklin where we do the trout stocking, and, and, and that's and middle it works, and, it, and it worked really well. And there was a guy there not catching. I said, "Here, you got to use these." And he used them, but you know, they, they they're gonna a lot of times you give a guy the the baits to try, but they're putting it on eight pound test, and you don't get the action. You can't cast them as far, and they get frustrated, and they they lose confidence in it. But if you have the right, if you call it the system, if you got it the system put together right, it's going to work. All right, Frank, that's it works. It's a lot like fly fishing. You got to have all your leaders and tippets right, and, and that's it, it matters. But that's what you do now, twenty four. I mean, you do it year round now, except maybe when you go saltwater fishing. But you yeah. do that. You might do it on. Saltwater. Well, I do. No, I do. I fly fish and I I use the light gear. Okay. But I but I I'll, I'll also throw some heavier stuff for stream bass fishing when I go paddling and stuff like that. I don't. I put the I put the trout magnet up around you know Juneish. Okay, all right. Unless I'm out just playing. We'll get, we're going to get you back here on her sometime, but I'd like to just get you on and let's talk creek fishing and kayaking and canoeing sometime because you like to do all that mm-hmm. stuff. I grew up wading creeks. Jason likes to wade creeks a lot, and we'll do a whole show on just wading. But in a in a nutshell, Frank, um, Tennessee's creek fishing pretty good versus the states around us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went when I first when I moved here. I, I just couldn't get over all the water that you can get in and just have a great time. Yeah, nineteen thousand miles or something yeah, like that. It's fishable crazy. stuff. Yeah. We have great stuff. Frank, you're always a great guest. We'll get you back on here, okay? I look forward to it. And glad you're the chief of fisheries. <laughs> I know you're going to do a great job at it. Thank you. All right, Jason, tell them where all they can find us. Where can your friends find us? Yeah, Doug. Uh, TNWildlife.org. Start there. Scroll down and, and click the link. Uh, it'll take you to our website. Uh, you can watch on TWRA TV, listen on iTunes, listen on SoundCloud, or listen right there on the website. Real easy. All right, real easy. You're doing a great job with it. We want you all to come in and enjoy us. and We give you a lot of information. At TN Wildlife is our, is our Twitter account. At TN, at TWRA Director, if you want to see what Ed Carter has to say. Uh, but always, TNWildlife.org. You find all of it out there. We've got five or six shows. More coming. Yep. And uh, we'll have some great shows for you. We'll see you next week right here on Tennessee Wildcast. Tell your friends, everybody. Yeah.